Good morning. What a beautiful morning. We've had enough rain now for a while, at least for a couple of days, and uh, really enjoyed the sun this morning. We had, a, we had a birthday party at our place yesterday, but uh, it was one of, our, one of our grandchildren from the UK, and it was cold and it was pelting down, and they said, ah, oh, feels like home. <laughs> I'm like, yeah, I don't know. <laughs> Not sure I could get used to that, uh, that, uh, that feeling at home. Uh, I prefer this kind of home feel. But um, yeah, it is what it is. Uh, welcome to the Cape Town Church of Christ. We're busy with a series called The Voice. We're in part four, which um, some of you may uh, realize, thankfully, that it's also the last one. But, um, or not, I don't know, you know. It's, it's, if I hear a collective, ah, I'll carry on for another four, you know. <laughs> Um, but yes, we've, uh, we've been on a bit of a journey to try and understand what these voices in our heads are actually telling us. And uh, it turns out they're saying quite a lot, and a lot of it uh, can influence us in a negative way, but we just need to recognize it. Where, where does it come from? What is it doing? Why is it doing it? What can I do about it? But uh, before we start, let's pray. Uh, Heavenly Father, we uh, just appreciate you so much, Father. We thank you for the rain, we thank you for the sun, we thank you for change, we thank you for consistency, Father. We, uh, we're, we're a funny bunch as humans, and uh, we need a bit of everything. And uh, we thank you, Lord, that you provide everything that we need. Uh, we pray this morning, Father, as we just look at the last element we're going to discuss, uh, about the voices that uh, we hear in our heads and what we can do about them. Father, I pray just open up our hearts, help me to say what uh, you want me to say, and uh, help uh, to be heard what you want to be heard in each of us individually, so we can all get closer to you. Father, we appreciate you tremendously, and we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So who wants to be happy? I should rather say, who doesn't want to be happy? You know, that must be the exception. I think wanting to be happy is built in us. The question is, what makes you happy? Because different things make different people happy. Now, I brought along a picture of what makes me happy. Table Mountain. Come on, guys. <laughs> a walk on the beach makes me happy. A beautiful photograph makes me happy. My wife smiling when I make a funny comment makes me happy. You know, that's, life is good. But watching my girls when something comes together in their lives makes me happy. Uh, what especially makes me happy is when all the grandchildren go to bed at night. <laughs> and kind of this peace settles on the house. You're like, ah, oh, happy space. When a sermon comes together, that makes me happy. When someone gets the scriptures. Have you ever been in a study where you're studying with somebody and suddenly the light dawns in their eyes and they realize, oh, this is what it means, or this is what I need to do, or this is how I need to think. You're like, hallelujah, thank you, Lord. Sometimes it's material things. Sometimes it's just a reduction of issues can make me happy. Sometimes it's when the pain subsides. Sometimes it's when someone cares. Sometimes it's when I care for somebody can make me happy. But the point is that our emotional state is easily influenced by quite a variety of things. Up and down we go, every day, every month, every hour. 
What that does, it makes life difficult to navigate. When life is tough, we are easily influenced by these voices, the negative ones in our head. When life is good, we are just as easily influenced by the negative voices in our heads. They're just saying different things. How do we make sense of all of these noises, all of these words, all of these conversations, if our own emotional state keeps on changing? You know, we started the series with recognizing the voices. Then we looked at rewiring the voices by identifying what ruts have we created for ourselves and what spiritual trenches do we need to dig out of those ruts to get away from some of the negativity that we have in our own heads. Last week, we looked at reframing our lives, how we can take whatever the current situation is that we're in and we reframe it. We look at it from God's point of view. How can we use whatever it is we're in to glorify God instead? Have you ever heard of the word neuroplasticity? Now, neuro, something in the head, plasticity, flexible. But it refers to the fact that our brains are actually constantly changing. They're not kind of flexible up to maybe adolescence and then they form rock and never change again. That's not how it works. Our brains can be changed and are constantly changing. We can, you can actually sculpture your brain and point it in another direction. But it doesn't come naturally. We rather follow the quick path that we discussed last week. We follow that easily. But if we're willing to make the effort, we can change the way our brains think. Because one of the things is our lives are always moving in the direction of our strongest thoughts. So if you want to change the direction of our lives, we have to change the way we think about things. So if we, with fear and trembling, recognize, rewire, and reframe, we can actually change the form, what our brains look like, so that we will more automatically take on the character of Jesus. Isn't that exciting? Today we're going to wrap up our series, and we're going to look at the last tool that we have for dealing with these voices. All of us go through seasons. Things go well, things don't go well. And sometimes all of that happens in one day and even in one moment. One moment you're okay, the next moment Joan falls down, heart attack. Personally, I panic when things don't go the way I've planned. I don't like surprises. I like to know that there's a certain way that things are going to happen. Because what does a surprise do? It immediately creates uncertainty and then everything goes wrong. One of my most painful and memorable moments was at a funeral. I was in charge of it. That meant the organization, the slideshow, uh, the main message, everything. With hindsight, which is wonderful, I would have changed a number of things. But on the day, we got there early. Things are coming together. I set up my computer because it was going to be playing the slideshow. With photographs and stuff as people come in. Then we're going to connect to Zoom so that all the online guys can also be part of it. Hunky-dory. Get there. All of us tested at home, by the way. Smooth as, smooth as anything. Get there, and of course, Wi-Fi is flaky, cell phone signal's flaky, 
Zoom's looking iffy. And to top it all, what does a Windows computer decide to do when you really want it to work? An update. <laughs> now, can you stop an update? Well, I don't know how, but this thing was clearly on a path of its own. It was now updating. And people are filing into the hall, and the slideshow should be showing, and it isn't. And, uh, you know, people come to you and talk about organizational stuff and where's this and how's that going to work. And, and I'm talking like, yeah, yeah, everything's, you know, uh, everything's okay. And, and in the meantime, under my jacket, I'm sweating buckets because I'm one eye, I'm looking at that computer, which is still, you know, oing, 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 oing. And, uh, and I can see there's no slideshow and I can see Zoom's not happening. And I'm like, oh, my word, this is my absolute worst nightmare when I thought I was organized, but I clearly wasn't. I think my heartbeat must have been like 200, but you can feel it. You can, almost, you can feel your jacket as it's, as it's bouncing in. It was horrible. I'm sure some of you have been there. When you rely on what you can do, and what happens is it turns out you don't have control over that situation. You know, the Bible describes many instances where people were faced with situations like that, and we're going to look at two of them today. Um, one of them was Elijah. Just to give you a bit of a backdrop, in 1 Kings 17, Elijah tells Ahab, who happens to be the evil king of the day, that there's going to be a drought. Elijah, fortunately, is looked after by God for the next couple of years. Three years down the line, God calls Elijah to meet with Ahab and to share with him, you know what, God is going to bring rain back again. Ahab says to Elijah, you're the troubler of Israel. And Elijah, not known for hanging back, accuses Ahab of having abandoned the Lord's commands. He said, there was something for you to do, you didn't do it. He then calls on the king, many of you know the story, to bring 850 prophets of his, of Baal and Asherah, and challenges them to a bull sacrifice duel. You guys, me. You build it up, get your gods to light it, I'll build mine up, I'll get my God to light it. Did you see my wife get up there in that whole process? She can hear my voice getting sticky, you see. <laughs> Let me show you that photograph of her again. <laughs> so the duel is on. takes a whole day, but the prophets could not persuade their God to light the fire. But Elijah calls on his God, who then burns up the complete water-soaked sacrifice, gone. Elijah was flying high. Imagine you were Elijah. You're like, pump. The people were so amazed at this God of Israel that they then went and they killed the 850 prophets. That's not enough successful drama for the day. It gets more interesting. Elijah sends his servant to look for a rain cloud seven times. On the seventh time, the servant comes back and says, Oh, there's an itty-bitty one there far away above the sea. Elijah says, That's the sign I need. Gets up, goes to Ahab and says, Better hitch your chariot. The rain's coming. Go. 
Then the power of the Lord came on Elijah, and he runs all the way from Mount Carmel to Jezreel ahead of the chariot. Have you ever looked at what that distance was? Well, I hadn't either. It turns out there's Mount Carmel, there's Jezreel, and, and maps tells me it's roughly 50 kilometers. He runs ahead of the chariot for 50 kilometers, gets to the city before Ahab and before the rain strikes. You ever wanted a marathon champion? I would like to have known his time. If there was a man on a high, this was Elijah. Filled with God's presence. Clearly with God, anything is possible. You can almost see him get to Jezreel and go, who's the man? Maybe they didn't quite say that those days. But three verses later, the Bible says Elijah was afraid and ran for his life. You're like, surely this cannot be the same guy. Three verses earlier, he was holding up the world. Why was he afraid and ran for his life? Because Jezebel has just threatened to kill him. When he came to Beersheba in Judah, he left his servant there while he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness. He came to a broom bush, sat down under it, and prayed that he might die. Which doesn't make much sense if you've been threatened with death. I've had enough, Lord, he said. Take my life. I am no better than my ancestors. Then he lay down under the bush and fell asleep. Well, at once an angel touched him and said, Get up and eat. So what happened? The voices took over. His biggest fear was that Jezebel would kill him, and so he wanted to die, which makes zero rational sense. His negative thoughts just ran away with him and left him in a deep depression. He had a lot of highs in a row. One low came along, and he gave up. He folded. It sounds very human, doesn't it? As long as stuff goes our way, we're okay. We can deal with life. But as soon as one thing turns against us, it feels like the end of the world. And we can't deal with it. Job was another example. Life was great at the beginning of Job. But towards the end of chapter 1, Job lost everything. Granted, it was extreme. In chapter 2, more misery was added to his life when he was also afflicted with painful sores. Then the voices got the upper hand. I mean, he went through a lot. We can understand those voices. We can excuse his thinking, but that's not the point. And Job shares with the world where his thoughts were going. He says, Job uh, 3, he says, after this, Job opened his mouth and cursed the day of his birth. He said, may the day of my birth perish. And the night that said a boy is conceived, that day may it turn to darkness. May God above not care about it. May no light shine on it. This man is at the end. And this is chapter 3. From there till chapter 37, we are witness to a conversation between Job and friends on what? Maybe it's your sin, maybe it isn't sin, maybe it's this, maybe it's that. We're discussing all sorts of things and trying to find out where God fits into this whole picture. There's a lot of discussing. In chapter 38, God speaks out. And we finally have some clarity as to where all of this is going. And he says, 
Who is this that obscures my plans with words without knowledge? Have you ever asked yourself that question when stuff goes wrong? Imagine God says that to you. Because remember in chapter 1, Job was described as a man who was blameless and upright, who feared God and shunned evil. Sounds like that guy can do nothing wrong. And yet, now God is asking him this. What happened? God is saying that Job, this man, chapter 1, who had everything, is obscuring, confusing, covering up God's plan by speaking from a position of opinion and not from a position of knowledge. How often can we do that? You see, the problem from God's perspective is not the material circumstance. It's the spiritual condition. We look so much on circumstance and so little on the actual spiritual condition. Stuff happens. When everything is okay, we are okay, like Elijah and Job. And we spend our whole lives trying to live lives and trying to point them in the direction of okay because we actually only want the good stuff. Who doesn't? When things go wrong, in our eyes, our voices then get the upper hand. They're going to tell you things like, you don't deserve these bad things happening to you. You've worked hard for the Lord. Do you know how many hours I've spent in kids' zone? How many communion cups I've washed? Tens of thousands. Do you know how many Bible talks I've prepared and presented over almost 30 years? I pray every day, and now this happens. What are we actually saying, all of us? Elijah and Job and us under these conditions. We are saying, God is unfair. He doesn't listen to me. And so on and so on. What does God say to us? He says, who is this that obscures my plans with words without knowledge? His plans. So what do we do? You know, there's a song, which I'm not going to sing. Many of you know it, and you can sing out the singer. You can shout out the singer when you, when you know it. Not my family, because I know they know it. <clears throat> but the song goes, the one verse goes something like this. I keep fighting voices in my mind that say I'm not enough. Lauren Daigle. Every single lie that tells me I will never measure up. Am I more than just the sum of every high and every low? Remind me once again just who I am, because I need to know. How beautiful is that? The voices thing is clearly a problem for humankind in general, dealing with lying, unkind voices. But there's a lesson here, and we'll get to it a bit later. But let's get back to Job. God has just entered the discussion for the next four chapters God reminds Job who he, God, is. Okay? He starts with, Where were you when I laid the earth's foundations? Tell me if you understand. Who marked off its dimensions? Surely you know. Who stretched a measuring line across it? 
on what were its footings set, or who laid its cornerstone. While the morning stars sang together, and all the angels shouted for joy, and so on. God reminded Job who he was, about God's greatness. Because Job, like us, he succumbed to the voices. They screaming and shouting in his head. They were the only thing he could hear. Words without knowledge. After the God reminder, Job comes back to a safe place again. And he says in Job 42, I know that you can do all things. No purpose of yours can be thwarted. You asked, who is this that obscures my plans without knowledge? Surely I spoke of things I did not understand. Things too wonderful for me to know. Job finally realized his place before God. And in his mind put God back where God belonged in the first place. Note his circumstances hadn't changed. He still had nothing. He was still afflicted with boils. But his mind has changed. He was listening to the right voice again. What about Elijah? We left him under the bush sleeping, depressed, threatened by Jezebel, and wanting God to take his life. You know, we all go through negative phases. When we start thinking things like, life is just too hard. I'm never going to get everything done. My salary will never be enough. You ever felt that? Hope my boss is listening. <laughs> Expenses are just spiraling out of control. No one understands me. I can't take the pressure. I'm constantly in pain and discomfort and many other things. What do all these negative stories have in common? We're going to answer that by looking at what does Elijah's name actually mean? Well, it turns out the L in Elijah stands for Elohim, which means God. The I means my and Jah, Elijah, is a way the Israelites shortened Yahweh. In essence, Elijah meant Yahweh is my God. His own name was meant to remind him whose story he was in. So an angel wakes up and feeds him over two days so that he can gather his strength. Then he travels for 40 days to Mount Horeb, the mountain of God. Why? Because he's going to meet God there. So what happens? There he went into a cave and spent a night. And the word of the Lord came to him. What are you doing here, Elijah? Interesting question. He replied, I have been very zealous for the Lord God Almighty. The Israelites have rejected your covenant, torn down your altars, and put your prophets to death with a sword. I am the only one left, and now they are trying to kill me too. He's a bit flaky on the truth, but that's what he said. He puts the same issues before God again. He can only see problems. This is wrong, that's wrong, these people, those people, this is happening, that is happening. He is saying what we often feel. He says, 
God, I have become a disciple of yours, given my life to you, and yet my circumstances are not what I envisaged as my Christian life. And they make me think, you have forgotten me. But then God answers Elijah. He says, Go out and stand on the mountain in the presence of the Lord, for the Lord is about to pass by. Then a great and powerful wind tore through the mount, tore the mountains apart and shattered the rocks before the Lord, but the Lord was not in the wind. After that, there was an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. After the earthquake came a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. After the fire came a gentle whisper. When Elijah heard it, he pulled his cloak over his face and went out and stood at the mouth of the cave. Then a voice said to him, What are you doing here, Elijah? I think what God is saying is, I'm not into the big things. Stop looking for me there. I'm not into things that go bang and thunder and lightning and big things, super impressive, anything. You need to look for me in the right places. I'm not in the things that people want to see. Rather, when we are overwhelmed, we should be keeping quiet and listening. And Elijah recognized that God was in the gentle whisper. Because to hear a whisperer, you have to be close to them. And you have to be quiet. And you have to lean in to hear them. And the older you get, the closer you have to lean in because you don't hear that well anymore. And you have to concentrate so that you hear those words clearly. And Elijah went out to meet God and told him again what he was feeling and God whispered, what are you doing here? Keep going. There's a plan, my plan. Scoot. Do it. I'm enough. I've always been with you and always will be. Remember. And Elijah realized he didn't need to die or even have God solve all his problems. His voices had been lying to him. He just needed to remember God. And again, God did not change the circumstances. He just reminded Elijah and nudged him on to continue with the mission. Job had to remember so did Elijah, that Yahweh, his name, is my God. His own name was there to remind him what he had to do. Remember our theme scripture, Jeremiah 79. The heart is deceitful above all things and beyond cure. Who can understand it? I, the Lord, search the heart and examine the mind to reward each person according to their conduct, according to what their deeds deserve. Okay, so our heart is deceitful. We get that. But what have we done to overcome and understand this particular situation and renew who we are? We try to answer that in the series. Recognize the voices. 
rewire our minds to think differently, get out of the ruts, into trenches that we have dug ourselves. We've learned to reframe our thinking so that whatever's happening to us, God is there. We just need to look for God in it. And we have to remember who He is to be rejuvenated and rejoice that we have been found by Him and be found worthy to participate in the sufferings of Christ. When the lying voices get too much, remember who God is. And also remember who you are. Remember the last line of the song. It went like this. Remind me, once again, just who I am, because I need to know. So let me remind you. God made you fearfully and wonderfully. He will sustain you. He can carry you and strengthen you and empower you to do what He has called you to do. To take captive every thought and every lie that the enemy throws at you. You know that God is enough. Because God is everything. You are not controlled by fear. You are not stuck. You are not a slave to your habits. You are not a prisoner of your addictions. You are not a victim. You are not a failure. You are not unlikable. You are not unworthy of love. You are not your past. You are not what you did. You are not what someone else did to you. You are not who your unhealthy thoughts say you are. You are not done. You are who God says you are. Because of Christ, you are loved, you are forgiven, you are healed, you are a new creation, you are redeemed, you are free to follow Christ. You are blessed, favored by God, you have been chosen, you are empowered, you are a weapon of righteousness in a dark world. Your God is with you and He will never leave you or forsake you. You are more than a conqueror. Nothing can separate you from God's love. Let God change your thinking because it will change your life. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much, Lord. Thank you for each week reminding us who you are, how great you are, how deep your scriptures are, how you keep calling us back to you. Help us to rethink, Father, everything that we hear in our heads. We are not our voices, Father. We can take those voices and we put them through your filter by rewiring and retrenching and reframing and remembering who you are, Father, so that you can be glorified. I pray, Lord, that we will have learned something from this, that we will be digging trenches that will bring us closer to you. We want to be more like Jesus, Father. We want to take on the character of Jesus. Help us, Father, to put the effort into it. You are out there. You are our God. You are not in the magical, wonderful, big things, Father. You are close to us and whispering to us. Let us be open to hear your voice. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.